We can t- wasn't that a great video from Alonzo? Now, there's a missionary for you, y'all. Uh, so anybody here on the one or two missions trips where we were building that building? Well, that was, a, that was something, wasn't it? That was backbreaking labor. Uh, but that building, as he talks about it needing to be finished, it's pretty close. I mean, that a lot of massive work. That was on a steep hill. And they came back from the missions trips uh, lugging cement up a... Oh, I don't know what the, it was a steep incline. So I hope I I I I think that we're intending to go back next year, next summer, not this summer. But Brendan, uh, talk to him about a date for me to go down. It's been, if they're up and running, we do have to get that seminary going. So, but that was great to see Alonzo, and I keep praying for you know as we're 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 trying to train up a successor to him, and our chosen successor is his his brother who's 17 years younger than him. But we can't get him out of the country, and he's working on his English. Uh, and so pray that uh, Edouard Ramirez would be able to come to Greenville. He'll be at our church for four years. He'll be at the seminary. We'd like to get him up here uh, so that Alonzo doesn't retire on us or some other horrific event before that can happen. So thank you. We're working through the Westminster Confession. We come to chapter 13 today, which is of sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the lucid teaching out of your word that the divines gave. Help us to become sound in truth, but also in life. Let the truth be in our mind, and Lord, let it work through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There's three chapters on sanctification, and the first just is, a, is kind of defining the general position. They who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created in them, are further sanctified, really and personally, through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection by his word and spirit dwelling in them. The dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts thereof are more and more weakened and mortified, and they more and more quickened and strengthened in all saving graces to the practice of true holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You wonder how many sessions it took to get that one right, but that's a really excellent statement on sanctification. Let's look at it. Uh, First is that Christ's people are holy through union with him, and we are made holy. And so it links effectual calling. Of course, effectual calling is what happens in our conversion. The result of that is regeneration. We come from death to life. And then we receive a new heart, a new spirit. You're probably thinking of the Bible verses in your mind that are behind this. And then that begins a lifelong process of sanctification, of becoming holy. Uh, John Calvin liked to use the term vivification. The process of being alive, coming alive. And he points out that vivification is rooted in our new birth. You say, when does sanctification begin practically? The moment we're converted, it's because we were set apart. We were made positionally holy. The Holy Spirit was given to us. We received a new heart. That's how we believed. And that is the beginning of a lifelong process of sanctification. Uh, and I, I have their Second Thessalonians 2.13. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And that roots sanctification in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. And it's Christ who sanctifies us. Now, obviously, we are to be very active in sanctification. But it's the, it's the grace of Christ. It's Christ's work in our lives. In fact, the divines, they just have a convention 
that when they speak of justification, they call it an act of God. That's because justification is not a process. The moment you believe, you're 100% justified. Sanctification is a process. So they refer to it as a work. It's just kind of, it's a convention they used. And it's an ongoing process by which you are not yet as holy as you will be. So you are as righteous as you will ever be. Thank the Lord you are not as holy now as you will ever be. You will be more holy than this. Um, And it's through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. Now that's an interesting statement. Because I find that a lot of Christians think of it this way. Justification is grounded in the death of Christ. Sanctification is grounded in the resurrection of Christ. Well, there is a plausibility to that, except it's not true. Both justification and sanctification are grounded equally in the death and resurrection of Christ. Romans 6 in particular speaks of our having died with Christ. The the death that he died, he died to sin. And since we are with him, and so it looks at the cross, the role of the cross in sanctification. When I became a believer in Jesus, there was a death that took place. And and in union with the cross of Christ, um, it was the ending of my former life. John Stott would say that uh, when you were converted, it was the end of your former biography. And your former biography read, and then he died together with Christ. And that life ended And then there's a new life that begins. The moment you believe. Now, those of us who are adult converts like me, that that was vividly true in my life. It was uh, a very visible end to a former life and the beginning of a new one. Uh, And by the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, we then who died, we have life. And so sanctification is grounded in Christ by virtue of both his death and his resurrection. We died with him, and we live anew with him. And let me say, sanctification always has to be emphasized. It's needed by and provided for every Christian. Uh, Some of you remember the old carnal versus spiritual Christian distinction. It is a false distinction. If you are a carnal Christian, you are not a Christian. Uh, Although you might say that all Christians are carnal Christians. We still have remaining sin. We'll talk about that. But all Christians are spiritual Christians. All Christians, to be a Christian is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so sanctification, I think I mentioned in one of the previous lessons, is not a second stage. First you do justification, and then you kind of cool your heels for a while and enjoy that. And then oh, when you're feeling up to it, then you do sanctification. That is completely alien to the Scripture. The moment you're born again and believe your sanctification begins. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of the great statements on sanctification. And we all, that's why I put that verse up there, we all, all Christians, uh, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All Christians are being sanctified. Occasionally you will run across someone who will, will be a Christian and we tell you their life has not changed. I, I, I had a young man almost 30 years ago, at least 25 years ago now, uh, came up to me and he said, Pastor Phillips, I believe everything I'm supposed to believe. My Reformed theology is impeccable. I thought, oh, that's trouble. Anybody comes in boasting about it, even if it's true, that's not the way I ought to be talking. But, I've, but I, I feel nothing. 
I said, what do you mean you feel nothing? He goes, I feel nothing. I have no love for Christ. I have no love for people. He says, in fact, my life has not changed at all in the five years I've been a Christian. I said, look, I'm not describing you. You're describing you. So you're the one saying it. That description says that you are not born again. That is not a possible condition for a person who is saved. Even the thief on the cross repents, and instead of uh, speaking filth, he pleads for Christ to be shown respect and honor. Uh, Conversion, new life, always results in change. Uh, I, I wanted to work through Romans 6. These are just sections from Romans 6 I want to work through. And the first point of which is, Conversion is the death of the old sinful self beginning with a new life, as I said. Let me just read Romans 6, 3 to 4 and how Paul thinks of sanctification. Romans 6 is really important on this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Now, by the way there, he's using the sign for the thing signified. The sacrament of baptism is a, is a symbol of union with Christ. In fact, the, the, the verb baptizo means to be identified with. And so he, what he means is we, we have had union with Christ. We have been baptized into Christ. We've been identified into him. Did you not know that we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. And so if, you're, if you believe in Jesus, your old self died. And, there's a, and sanctification involves death to sin. We'll talk about the mortification of sin. But it was a, it's a radical death to sin. Now secondly, Christ, the cross of Christ sets us free from bondage to sin uh, by means of death. This is what he says, verses uh, 5 to 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's what he means, united with him in death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, Christ frees us from slavery to sin by means of that death of the old man That took place when we believed in him. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now thirdly, Christ's resurrection then gives us new life to live for God. Just continuing on in the chapter. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so sanctification is death to the life of sin, and it's new life unto God. And then he has the great statement of Romans 6.11, So you also must consider yourselves. One of the other versions says, You must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We therefore accept this death and resurrection and no longer live for sin, but we live for God in Christ. How important it is for you to think of yourself this way. And why shouldn't I sin? Because you died to sin. That was an old life. That life's over. It died. 
And you have a new life, which is to live for God. Paul says, reckon, think about yourself in light of what is actually true of you through union with Jesus Christ. Stop thinking of yourself as someone who's under the dominion of sin. You are not under the dominion of sin. That person died through the death of the old man. You have been set free that by the resurrection of Christ, you would live for God. It's a very important New Testament grid uh, sanctification is death and new life, death to sin, life in Christ, because we're joined to Christ and we experience that with him. There's my beloved slide, the point of which is that we believe in Jesus. That's the Cairo. Um, we are justified. We're forgiven. We receive his righteousness. We have a forensic benefit. We're adopted. We have a relational benefit. And there's also a a transformative benefit. All of this happens at the same time. And so to be a Christian is to be justified. It is to be a child of God. It is to be holy. It is to be holy. Well, in sanctification, the the dominion of sin is destroyed. And I'm just quoting here from the Confession It says the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed. It doesn't say that all sin is removed from you, but the rule of sin is destroyed. The the realm, the bondage of sin, and the, 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 the whole body of sin. Paul said, you think of the mind, how the mind is no longer the servant of unbelief. And Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what a thing it is to be a Christian. And I want to say this. I think when we talk about sanctification, most of us think, oh, I don't want to talk about this because I'm I'm not sanctified. Oh, yes, you are. You believe things that no one but a Christian believes. And and you, you believe in the deity of Christ. You believe that he died for your sins. You believe in the Trinity. You believe in a final judgment. But you, you believe in a, 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 you increasingly should be learning and discovering and believing in your mind what the Bible says that's contrary to what the sinner said, what the, the, what the old sinful self. And so the dominion over our mind of unbelief and lies has been replaced by truth. One of the most important things in sanctification, that's why the New Testament so often, and the Old Testament, emphasizes this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In some respects, it starts there. Psalm 1, blessed is he who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's one of the biggest distinctions that can be made. But when that happens to you, when you take God's word as truth and you begin drinking from it, there's a a renewal, the the dominion of the body of sin is broken over your mind. And the same thing should be happening and is happening in your heart. When Ezekiel said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, he also said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. And so there's an inward orientation, a moral compass has been, has been reoriented to point true north. And, and we start thinking and desiring, even if we're having a hard time um, actually repenting of the sin, that does the sincere desire to repent and to honor God is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You, do you realize that unsaved people 
do not desire to repent of sin so that God would be glorified. Now, they, they don't like the consequences of sin, and that will motivate some things. But the actual hatred of sin is even before the sin is stopped, as it were. The genuine struggle with sin is the sanctification of the heart. And then the hands and the feet and the mouth and the eyes. Uh, And so sanctification, our minds are made holy, our hearts are made holy, and that leads to our behavior. Now, notice where the emphasis is. The emphasis is not really in the New Testament on the behavior. Yes, there is emphasis on the behavior. Don't lie anymore. Don't steal. Don't be sexually immoral, those sorts of things. But they're understood to be the downstream effects of a new heart and a new mind. Uh, one of my professors at Westminster, a man named David Powelson, had a very famous tree metaphor, which has been so helpful. And think how often the New Testament and the Old Testament describes the believer in terms of a tree. Well, what's the most important thing about the tree? The fruit? No, it's the root. And you don't just will yourself to produce fruit. You, you, stink your, you put your root system in the soil, and it drinks from the rain and the water. Isn't this rain great for those of you wanting your grass to grow uh, and your, your, your gardens to bloom? And, and the most important thing for the tree is that it's root, and if the tree is rooted in the good soil and drinking of the life, then the, then the tree itself will become vibrant. And it will, by, by that means, bear fruit. And so the New Testament emphasis is not stop doing that, start doing this. You will get that. But that's not, the, that's not the model, as it were. The model is be in Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have your affections and your desires and your will molded by the Spirit of God. And then as a result, you, the fruit will come. A palisman like to say, if you staple apples on a dead apple tree, they will just rot and start stinking. And if you try, and some of us come from legalistic backgrounds, this is legalism. It's all about the external, right? It's all about the behavior. It's all about the appearance. And after a while, it becomes putrid. And the lack of life and health inside makes the fruit rot. Uh, and so, so there's, a, the, 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 there's a new man in which the bondage of sin is destroyed, but then also the lusts themselves are more and more weakened and mortified. And so as you, here's one of the great things about being a Christian. As you're reading your Bible, as you're, as you're worshiping, as you're walking with the Lord, as the Bible tells you to, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit is loosening the grip of sin on you. Sometimes he uses trials to do that. But, it, but our responsibility, here's where our active faith kicks in, we are to be actively involved in putting sin to death. Paul said, uh, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, what I find so interesting is those are not behaviors. Those are attitudes. When Paul said mortify, he needs to put to death. You're actively, you're, you're actively at war with it. And he's not talking, he doesn't say put to death your behaviors, although that's okay too. He says the attitudes, it's the desires that change. That's what we should be praying about that. You know, I'm, and I'm just going to randomly pick, you know, sin orientations. Uh, Lord, I, am, I, I have an automatic envious response 
that leads me to these sins. Father, would you change my heart that I would be grateful instead of discontent. Lord, I have a boastful spirit. It kills me if I'm not number one. Why am I that way? Help me to be more like Christ. And so you start praying about your attitudes, and that is fruitful sanctification. Lord, I am slothful. Lord, I mean, you name it. What, I'm just picking things randomly. But uh, we're all somewhere in there. And we're to be able to say, Lord, I, I, on the one hand, we, we put it to death by starving it, by not gratifying it. We put it to death by prayer. We put it to death. Bible memorization is a great weapon against sinful attitudes. Put to death uh, the body of sin. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its, notice what he says again, with its passions and desires. The behaviors matter, but they're downstream. It's the inward desire. You know, if you ask the question, what do I want out of life? What am I aiming for? What is driving me? Oh, those are very fruitful things to pray about. Those are really fruitful things to discuss and to, to, to open your Bible and be instructed by Scripture and, to, and, to, and to, to, to really labor in your own heart, plowing it with God's Word and with prayer, because that is what's, where our sin is uh, deriving. And it says that by the word and spirit dwelling in them. And Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. They're the two primary resources in this radical renewal of the whole man in Christ is the word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit. What a con- Isn't that great? Uh, because it's God who's doing the work in our lives. We should be growing. It's by the word and spirit. Now that's kind of the negative side of it. And so sanctification is anti-sin. It's anti the bondage of the old man, uh, the mind, the heart, the actions. But sanctification, holiness, is essentially a positively oriented thing. We're to be renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's the famous expression of the shorter catechism. There's to be an inward renewal in the image of Christ taking place in the entirety of my person. Uh, Donald McLeod said, every single aspect of the human personality is affected. Before conversion, we were totally depraved. After conversion, we are totally sanctified. That doesn't mean it's all done. He's talking about the scope of it. I'm to be comprehensively sanctified. My whole self is to, be, is to be made positively holy. It affects our desires, our ambitions, our emotions. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. You were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Notice that mind emphasis and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so you have a passage like Galatians 2, 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he says, against such things there is no law. But notice what he's saying. That sanctification is the work of the Spirit of God by means of the Word of God affecting inward change. I may have been harsh. I'm becoming gentle. I may have been unhappy. I'm gaining joy. I may have been self-absorbed. Now I have love for others. 
This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the final statement of paragraph one says, to that practice of true holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Well, that's a quote from Hebrews twelve fourteen, which says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now let me be clear what that is not saying. It's not saying that if you're not 100% holy, you can't go to heaven. It's not saying that. But if you are not being sanctified, then you are not a Christian. And those heaven is for the holy. The spirits of the just made perfect, Hebrews 12 says. And the people who are going to heaven are the people who are being characterized by holiness now. And so we are to be a holy people in our minds, in our hearts, and increasingly in our actions. We're not saved by holiness, but our salvation is characterized by holiness. Well, the confession then talks about the struggle with sin, and I think this is so helpful. Again, I think so many people don't want to talk about sanctification because they feel threatened. They feel like it's just going to show they're not Christians. But but look at the sensitive and, and biblically sound way they handle this. Thus, sanctification is throughout in the whole man. So it's the whole person. There's no sanctification-free zone in you. Uh, yet it is imperfect in this life. There abiding some remnants of corruption in every part. Whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh lusting against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Well, sanctification is designed for our entire selves and our whole lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He is faithful. He will surely do it. I love that line. Notice who's doing that. And yet it's imperfect in this life. The completion of our sanctification is in heaven. When we, after we have died or when Christ has returned. You think of John in 1 John 1 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I mean, people actually make the argument, I'm not a sinner. And you're like going, Do you have like close friends we can talk to you? I mean, I mean, it's not that hard to show that someone's a sinner. You know, when we're doing evangelism, they go, How dare you call me a sinner? We should go, You know, actually, it's the case is overwhelming. I love the old D. James Kennedy approach because the, it makes it rounds the math. In evangelism explosion, if you transgress God's law three times a day, and don't just read the Ten Commandments, you've got to read the interpretation of the Ten Commandments by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in which case you go, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the truth is you've sinned many more times than three times a day, but we're working for easy math. That's 365 times three. We'll round that to 1,000. And let's say you live 70 years, 70 times a thousand. You're going to show up in the holy courts of heaven talking about you've been basically a good person. And they're going to open the books and go, we've got a few chargeable offenses in here. 70,000 of them. Um, And John says, look, we we, we got to be seriously deceived. Now he's talking about Christians. Christians are deceiving themselves if they don't realize they're still sinners. Paul says, he answers the question definitively. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. So the apostle Paul says, I have not arrived in terms of holiness. I am not perfect. 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And even in Ephesians 4 where Paul says, put off your old self, well, that implies there is an old self to put off. And so while, and I, he said, hold on, you said when I was converted, I, I died, that old life died. Yes, but the corpse is still attached to you. And it's not just an outward course. The old sinful nature is still with you. And that means to be a Christian is to be engaged in warfare. This is why it is easier in so many respects to be a non-Christian than to be a Christian. That's undoubtedly true. The non-Christian is at war with God and at peace with sin. Now that's going to end really badly when they die or when Christ comes and the final judgment comes. But for the time being, it makes life awfully easy that you're just, you know, going with the flow and you're not fighting sin. You're just doing your best and it's not going to work, but it's easy. The Christian is at peace with God and is at war with sin and not just with the sin of those people and of those people and, you know, and that political party, feel free, by the way. But, you know, the biggest problem is my sin that I'm at war with. What's going on in my own heart? The things that show up in my mind, the things that burn up in my heart, the things that I end up saying or doing or thinking or acting on. The problem is, and I am to put that off. Well, if I'm to put it off, I must still have it. And so the New Testament teaches that the converted Christian who is holy is still also a sinner. So some people go, Pastor, which one am I? I'm a sinner or a saint? The answer is yes. I mean, it's complicated. It'll, it'll, be, it'll get sorted out at the resurrection, but for right now it's complicated. Um, you are both, you're, am I a carnal Christian or a spiritual sinner? Christian, well, you're, biblically speaking, you're both. You're not only, you know, a worldly Christian. You're also a spiritual Christian. You're both. And that, that means there's struggle. And by the way, if you're struggling, and I think so many Christians think badly of themselves, and, you know, we are bad. Um, but in part because we don't realize that the Christian life is a struggle with my own sin. And the fact that you're struggling with sin does not mean that you're a lower class Christian. It means that you're a Christian. I like to put it this way, my problem is not with Christians who are struggling with sin, but it's those who are not struggling with sin. And, you know, and, and honestly, the church and Christians, we can handle the truth about sin, but we need to be struggling with it. We need to be struggling against it. We know that you're struggling with the, with the, with the sin problem, but are you struggling against it? Uh, that, is, that makes all the difference. And so the confession rightly says there abide still remnants of the corruption in every part whence arises this continual and irreconcilable war. Galatians 5.17, and tell me if you don't understand this. You do. The flesh wars against the spirit. Aren't you shocked by the first thing to come into your mind or by what your heart wants to do? And you gotta, you got to preach your heart down and you're kind of going, wow, i got a rotten heart. Well, join the club. And, and the spirit it wars with the flesh. Uh, that is normal and inevitable in the Christian life. And so when, if someone says to me, you know, I, I struggle with X sin, well, it's not surprising that people struggle with X or Y or Z sin. But Christians are not to reconcile to it. We're not to give in. We're not to yield to it. We're to war the spirit by means of the word and prayer, the worship of God's people, 
We're to war with the flesh. Uh, and again, the importance of the mind. To, let's look at Romans 8, 6. To set the mind of the flesh on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. The, the mind is where the leverage is. If, we, if, our, if what we really believe changes, and the Bible will do that, then that will, that will give us a great leverage on our hearts and our actions. But if the mind is set on the flesh, well, you got problems. Uh, it also means we need to live carefully. Now, that's true. If I'm born again, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I am holy, I'm called to holiness, Christ is working into me holiness, but I've got the old man dragging me down, and I've got thoughts, desires, and habits that in fact are sinful. If I'm such a person, it is not legalism to say, whoa, there's like, I should be careful of what I watch. I should be careful what I listen to. Uh, if you're a married person, for, I have for years, it used to be called the Billy Graham rule. It's now called the Mike Pence rule, where, uh, you know, I do not get in a car with, alone with any woman who's not my wife or daughter or mother-in-law. That's the entire circle right there. I do not have, you know, ongoing personal one-on-one friendships with women. Now, by the way, I do not think that I'm, that, that, oh, good thing, because everybody, no, actually, <laughs> I've been working on becoming less attractive as I get older, but the, uh, the, uh, but, uh, uh, no, but it's just plain to win. It's just plain to win. Structure beats good intentions. In fact, good intentions result in structure. It's not lost on me that the number of pastors who have sexual affairs, and, and there's reasons for that, high stress, uh, the nature of their work puts their hearts close to them. And when I first got here, uh, one of the families who had us over, this is the life of the minister. And some of you may not know that my predecessor, it's, it's a kind of a complicated thing, but there, there were some concerns in the, along that lines. I don't want to go into it, but the, the congregation was, was anxious about that. And so I, Sharon and I move in, and we go to dinner, and his family heads over to dinner. And then they say, we want you now to prove to us that you're not going to have an affair. And I'm like... So I guess the social part of the evening has ended at this point. I mean, you know. And I'm like, I, what am I supposed to say to you? Because there's nothing I can, you know. But I will say that if you're resolved not to fall into certain sin, then you will not expose yourself to the potential to engage in that sin, right? Uh, young people, uh, dating people. You know, uh, when I was at West Point, there was a couple that was engaged, Christian couple, and they told me they were going on a cruise together. Then they said, uh, uh, Major Phillips, we're not going to, uh, uh, we're, not, we're, we're not getting, we're getting separate cabins. And I said, well, you might as well save the money and just book one because you're not going to use two cabins. Oh, no, no, we'll be all right. I said, no, no, you will not. You're 21 years old, you're engaged, you're in love, and you're going on a cruise together. Uh, and I'm not telling you to book a single room. I'm telling you not to go. Well, they go on the cruise. They come back. And what do they say? I, I wish I'd placed a bet on this. We're sorry. We fell into sin. And I said, yes, when you bought the tickets. You know, and how often young people in sexual sins, it's be, if you're, look, if you're 20 years old and you're in love and you're spending the night at a hotel together, watch out. Watch out. And my point is that we, we need to live carefully. We need to structure our lives with care. 
Um, and we need to, and that's true in many other areas of life. Uh, particularly if you have a sin, if you have a sinful past, that sinful past ought to lead to you being careful. And, and this is where the Christian is wise and goes, you know, I am a sinner. I need to think about that. And I desire not to sin. Therefore, I will structure my life so that I don't sin. Uh, and it's a desperate struggle. And I want to say this. If you're saying, oh, you know, I feel like I'm so down because my struggle with sin is really real. Well, get a load of the Apostle Paul. Here's one of his diary entries, as it were. I don't understand my actions. For I, what I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. For I, <laughs> do you sound familiar? Why do I keep Paul's Why do I keep doing this? By the way, there's some people who think this is Paul talking about his pre-Christian life. It cannot be because the pre-Christian doesn't doesn't hate sin the way he does. So there's the Apostle Paul saying, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to. I, why, I, I, the things I don't want to do. You know, I went to the party saying I'm not going to say that, and then I said it. And, he, and there he is afterwards going, why did I say it? He sounds familiar. Uh, there's other versions of that. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's the kind, when you go, that's the kind of sin I'm having, that's what the Bible describes it as. Now you go, so the Bible's okay with me struggling with sin? The Bible's okay, not okay with you not struggling against sin. It understands that you're going to struggle with sin. Well, then thirdly, is this last one, is the victory of grace. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate path doth overcome. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, for a time, it may look like sin is the upper hand. It may look like sin is prevailing. And Paul says, I read this earlier in Romans 7, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul says there's times when I feel like I'm losing. And you may feel that way too. But you will not lose. The regenerate part overcomes. How? By the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ. Uh, John Bunyan in uh, Pilgrim's Progress in the interpreter's house. He has an illustration. There's a fireplace. And there's a man on the outside of the fireplace continually throwing water on the fire, trying to put it out. But the fire doesn't go out. And, and, and he says, and the interpreter says to Christian, why isn't the fire going out? He goes, I don't know. He's throwing water. At that. And he goes, well, let's look behind the fireplace. There's another man with oil. And he's pumping oil into the fireplace. And that's, that's the spirit of God. Oil is the image of the Spirit. That it's Christ who's pumping the oil. Satan is the one trying to douse you. But Christ is giving you a supply of grace. And so you will not fail. I use the analogy, our Savior pulls on the rope. What I mean by is this. Sometimes you'll have a sanctification issue that for you feels like climbing a mountain. And you know you need to do it. But it's just kind of hard to think about. And then when you're doing it, it's hard. 
Well, Christ not only climbed the mountain ahead of you, which is good. He did, by the way. He led a perfect life. So that you see where, the, where you put your hand here, put your foot here, that kind of thing. He also lets a rope down. Not only that, he pulls on the rope. <laughs> so where you're, you're going, so when you, when I, I've seen so many times a Christian goes, you know, I'm going to deal with sin issue X. And it's hard for me to even believe I can make headway, but I need to. I want to honor Christ. I'm going to trust him. And, and they find that they make more progress faster than they thought they could. Why? It's like you're climbing a mountain, and not only does he lower a rope, while you're climbing on the rope, he's pulling on it. And I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's sending the Holy Spirit into your life. He's honoring your faith and and your pursuit of holiness by the help of the Spirit. Uh, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He has an answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Romans 7 passage ends with him saying, I can trust Christ is going to see me through. And so the saints grow in grace. We grow in grace. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Now, yes, that is a challenge. If you don't have any good fruit, maybe you're not a good tree. I admit that. But if you are born again, if you do believe in the Lord Jesus, you are going to bear fruit. Because Christ, you're his tree. It's, his, it's, it's the nature of, he's, he's made you a living tree. It's his water coming up through your root systems. You are going to bear fruit. How encouraging it is. If you can go, you know, I've got a lot of issues, but no, I am a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I am born again. Uh, you will be, be of good cheer. You are going to prevail. And then I, I read this verse earlier, but it's such a great verse. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Christ, in the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifies his people. Now, sometimes it involves trials that might not have been necessary if we had been more cooperative. I I will admit that. And so I, I advise us all, let's... Play along with the Lord because he's going to get his way and it's a little more painful to do it the hard way. But he is going to glorify himself in our lives. And then Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, 13 to 14. Let, Let that be a good word for you. You start where you are. You're not perfect. Don't be insulted. You have sin issues. I hope you're struggling with them. What does Paul say? Forgetting what's behind. Straining forward. Remember the lessons of what is behind, but then forget about it. And then set your face towards the Lord. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father in heaven, we pray your blessing, not only on the doctrine of sanctification, but our sanctification. And I thank you for this clear doctrine based on your word, and I pray that what was said tonight would be a real help to your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.